0: Alright, alright. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and as I am recording this on Mother's Day, let me open the podcast with a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. Uh, my mother is fond of saying that she passed through the valley of the shadow of death to bring me into the world. Uh, and... just we wouldn't be here without you, literally. So, uh, biological mothers, stepmothers, adoptive mothers, grandmothers, you know, whatever, whatever variation you ha- happens to be relevant to you. Uh, thank you, thank you so very much for everything that you have done for all of us. And thank your mother, by the way, you listener. If your mother's still with us on this side of the veil, please thank your mother. Uh, whoever the, mater- the relevant maternal figure is. I mean, if your mother's a terrible person, you were raised by an aunt or a grandmother or whatnot, whoever it happens to be. And then, you know, give some respect to your mother anyway, even if she's a terrible person for, you know, not <laughs> murdering you in the womb or something similar. Uh, so I'm not... That's a touchy subject these days, and I don't mean to phrase it like—I don't mean to phrase it in a way that is incendiary. I just mean to say uh, we're—we're all here because of our mothers, and whether that whether they were the best person to to raise us or not is an entirely is a separate issue, still an important one, but a separate one to thank you for bringing us into world and sharing the miracle of creation with us. So. Throwing that out there, uh thank you to my mother, my aunt, who's essentially raising her grandchild, my grandmother, who is one of the kindest, warmest people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh and, and again, I mentioned my mother, my mother as well, because my mom's awesome, so. Alright. With that little bit out of the way, uh, let's talk what do we got since this evening? Last night was UFC two seventy four, boy. We got stuff to unpack there, don't we? Ooh, doggies. Uh, with some other stuff over the weekend, I'll touch briefly on that after talking UFC 274. So a brief discussion of boxing because hey, Canelo lost. Ugh, I'll talk about that. Uh, and Bellator, I'll I laugh at Bell. I'll laugh at Bellator for just a, a moment or two this time. Then we've got a preview UFC on ESPN 36 this coming Saturday. Rising contender Alexander Raikic and former champion Jan Blahovic will clash and we will find out which of them You know, you might get your next title challenger out of this Because uh, you've got Glover and Glovers fighting Yuri Some later time this year assuming that fight even holds together Your next I don't know if they want to do Magomed on Kalaev they could but I tend to think if somebody looks really good coming out of this fight, they'll get the next shot at the belt. And then on Goliath, we'll need one more win. That's my sense of things. So we'll get a preview of that whole event and news. Uh, there were some fights that got made, some uh, bouts. Uh, we don't have a full bout order for UFC 276, but we do have most of the car, a lot of the fights. So we'll briefly go over some of that stuff. And Dana White decided to stick his foot firmly into his mouth when talking about the finances of boxing and etc so there's some stuff to talk about this week Uh, and i'm very glad that you are all here for it and allow me to be a companion to you on your combat sports journey all right before we get into the show proper as usual please like comment subscribe share star rating written review anything and everything you can do to help out the program is always appreciated i I, don't, I say it every week, and I still don't say it enough. Uh, thank you very much for all that you do. It means the world. All right. UFC 274. Before we get into the fights, drama on weigh-in day. Charles Oliveira, your reigning UFC lightweight champion, misses weight. Weighs 155 and a half. And uh, he, he weighed in late. He was one of the last guys to weigh in. Uh, missed weight was given an extra hour. Still weighed 155 and a half when he came back. Uh, he loses the belt on the scale. His fight with Justin Gaethje then became a situation where Gaethje could win the title if he won the fight, but Oliveira, and this is the UFC's line, uh, if he won, would become the number one contender and would then fight for the vacant belt. That's kind of the situation we find ourselves in uh, ahead of the fight. Also, before we get into the fights too much, uh, near the top of the broadcast, it was announced that Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon fell apart. no Lo- Lozon, um, oh, sorry. Cerrone had some kind of illness. Uh, Ariel Hawani reported that it was... Cerrone's camp diagnosed as food poisoning. which Which sucks, man. I've had food poisoning. It's the worst. I mean, that's... That's one of the worst... Like, three-day stretches of my life. It wasn't quite three days, but I couldn't... Man, I couldn't keep water down. Like, I drink water, and five minutes later, I'm vomiting. Well, I hope Cerrone recovers. They'll probably try to remake Lozon and Cerrone, because it's not a bad fight. But I was sad because of all the sad old guy fights on this card. That was the one I... That was the one that had potential not to suck, and we'll get to the one that sucked soon enough. So that fell apart. Again, we had the title being stripped from Charles Oliveira, but in your main event, as for the fight itself, now, you know, before I get to that, there was some controversy about the way in here. Um, A few different things, actually. One, and this is a weird one, but... I found the verbiage here. So, first of all, Arizona... This is one of those things about... um, I'm going to get a little noodly here, so bear with me. Arizona requires weigh-ins to take place uh, no more than 24 hours before the scheduled time of the event. Now, that means that... Uh, since UFC 275, we'll go with Eastern Standard Time here for the sake of convenience. UFC 274 started prelims, and this is one of the things, they say it's the start of the event, not the start of your fight, which is, I think is fair. Uh, first fight started at 5.30 Eastern, 3.30 my time. Oliveira missed weight at around 327 Eastern. And if you want to go Pacific, that would be, what, 2.30 p.m. would be the first prelim, and the weigh-in took place around 12.27. At least that's when Oliveira got on the scale. So, by their own rules, this was not a valid weigh-in. And that's not just for Oliveira, that's for everyone. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's... (laughs) Look... You you might say that's a bit pedantic, but when you get into the legalities of this, yeah, Charles de could probably sue uh, and get his title back. I don't think he will, because he doesn't want to rock the boat that much. And I don't blame him for that. But he could. There's a very, like, legally, there's an incredibly strong argument to be made there. Uh, There was an issue, uh, there was some question about the calibration of the scale. Now, this... This one's a little bit wonky because there, there's two scales. There's one in the back and there's the official one. Uh, both of them are overseen by commission members. Now, what everyone seems to agree on is that the scale at the hotel where the fighters were staying was off. It was a digital scale and somehow or another, it got, I think Daniel White said it was p- people kept flipping it back and forth between pounds and kilos, which I find stupid. Not that it couldn't affect the scale to be switched back and forth rapidly, but got fighters. I know I know not everyone use. Uh, in fact, almost no one uses the standard system uh, except the United States. But even then, man, pound pounds is one of those weird things. Like a lot of times when you talk about even places that use the metric system, if you talk about height, people will actually give it in feet and inches rather than meters. Um, Weight, not so much. Like, weight's pretty... Most everyone's okay with kilos. Uh, but it shouldn't matter. Like, you sign to fight at X, and whatever wh- whatever unit of measurement is used on the contract, you know. I signed to fight at 155 pounds, hypothetically. I don't need the scale to be in kilos. I step on it, it says I weigh... Uh... You know, I'm going to fight at 155. I step on it, it says I weigh 170. I can do the math. And if you want to know what that is in kilos, don't monkey with the scale. You've got a phone. Someone in your entourage has a phone and you can Google the conversion. You should not be messing with the scale over this, but there's a lot of people who mentioned that scale was off. Uh, again, the UFC seems to confirm that, so... That sucks for... A lot of people apparently were a little bit wonky, so... The the disparity between the official scales is a little bit more troubling. Now, again, Oliveira said it was a little bit off, that he was bang on in the one on the back with the one in the front. Not so much. Um, here's my big question about... One of my weird questions about this, I suppose. Um, to Charles Oliveira, why didn't you shave your head? I mean... You looked like... Th- that was a tough weight... That looked like it was a tough weight cut for him. Now, again, if you are operating on a scale that is not calibrated, you are making assumptions that are not accurate. This happened with, um... One of Johnny Hendrix's fights. Like, the scale at the hotel was that they were using to calibrate his weight cut was off, and they all knew it was off. So when he first weighed in, he was... He knew he was going to be off. Uh... Then he just cut the last little bit that he needed to, and he made it, and he made it pretty easily on his second attempt that was it's one of those things where you can tell there's a difference between the physical body having a weight cutting issue or it being a, again some kind of external one in oliveira's case uh he look he thought he made weight and he's never missed at one fifty five before I'm going to bring up because I'm going to it's only it's unfair to unduly paint him in this light, but when he was fighting at Featherweight, he missed weight like four times. Now, this is his first time having anything approximating a problem at Lightweight. And I'm willing to let this be, given everything else going on around it. I'm, I'm not going to start, you know, insulting the man's professionalism. If he was fighting at Featherweight, I would. And in fact, I did. He weighed one, you guys may not remember this, he actually weighed 155 for a featherweight fight at one point. I mean, it was ridiculous. But he's never had a problem here. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in that there's a lot of craziness around this one. But I'm, you've also got a history of troubles with the scale in a general sense. So again, I'm not going to paint him as some kind of unprofessional boob, but I am going to keep this in mind. But, again, kind of the thing, like, if you, you're half a pound off and, dude, your hair, ha- shave your head, man. It's hair, it grows back. Even those of us that are balding. I say this as someone who is suffering from, <laughs> could I be a jerk about this? I could. I think I will. As someone suffering from alopecia, the rest of your hair still grows back. uh Lest that be taken out of context, for those of you who don't know, alopecia just means baldness is the losing of one's hair, and there's primarily three kinds. There's, was it androgenic, gynogenic, and then universalis. Um, Androgenic is male pattern baldness. I believe it's gynogenic, which is the way that most women lose their hair, which is kind of generally all over the scalp, rather than... When men lose their hair, it's in the pattern, hence male pattern baldness. Universalis is the nasty one, because that's all the hair all over your body, and your eyebrows and eyelashes actually serve an important biological function, so when you lose them, that really sucks. Uh, But, dude, if you're only half a pound over, shave your head. I know you're not a... He doesn't have a lot of hair, but that might be enough to get you where you need to be. Uh, Just throwing that out there, man. Uh, You may be... Even if that scales. Look, if you shaved your head and that thing still read you the same, then you—that you could kind of prove at that point that something's wonky. Now all we have is your say so, more or less. Uh, I, I'm gonna say I, I've said this as well for a while. I don't know why we're still using mechanical scales. These should be digital. They're—they're they're more accurate. They're—they're they're easier to zero out and to recalibrate. We should be using digital scales. There's there's not really a good reason we don't. That's not just for... Look, because Arizona did it with a... I've, this was true of Arizona. This was true of... When the UFC goes to Abu Dhabi, I think they do the mechanical scale. Like There's different places that do it that way. All of you, all of you various commissions or sanctioning bodies, stop. Use digital scales, and let's end some of the ch- chicanery going on here, yeah? So, anyway, Olivera becomes the first UFC champion to lose his title on the scale. First time. All other instances of a fighter in a championship fight missing weight were either the challenger or one half of a fight for a vacant belt. Uh, as for the fight itself, it was a ba- uh Charles Olivera wins. He submits Justin Gaethje with a rear naked choke. 322 of the first... This was about as good a three-minute fight as you'll find. I mean, these two went after it. Gaethje landed a couple of really hard calf kicks right away. Those seemed like they were going to be a problem, and then Oliveira got a better read on the timing of them and whatnot. Uh, Gaethje drops Oliveira twice. I think he was only officially credited with one, but that was two knockdowns there. Uh, Oliveira pulled guard at one point. But ultimately, Oliveira cracks Gaethje with a right hand as they're kind of disengaging from the pocket. Jumps on his back. Gaethje fights off the first attempt at the choke. Oliveira reattacks, gets it. Uh, Gaethje taps right before he goes to sleep. Uh, Charles Oliveira, despite no longer being the champion, pretty clearly the best lightweight in the world at the moment. Doesn't mean he's unbeatable. Uh, but again, the, I've gone over this in the past. The best don't always win uh, because best doesn't mean perfect. Uh, in fact, I mean, look, Oliveira might lose his next fight, kind of depending on who he has to fight. Uh, in at least one case, I wouldn't be surprised. But that's the best lightweight on the planet. <laughs> uh, and it it's a real shame we never got him versus... Khabib. Weird, but Charles Olivera versus Khabib Nurmagomedov is a fight none of us considered all that seriously until it was no longer available. And suddenly we all realize, boy, that would have been great. Right? The whole time Khabib was on the come-up, Oliveira was kind of building... uh, He was kind of rebuilding himself at lightweight, and he's building a winning streak, but a lot of it's over, you know, lower-tiered guys, but he's dominating them, and he's, he's moving up through the ranks. And then after Khabib retires... It's right about the time we all realize, oh, Oliveira's kind of figured himself out. Oliveira's kind of really good, and now it's like, man, Charles Oliveira versus Khabib Nurmagomedov would have been everything we wanted Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov to be. I, I firmly believe that. I would still pick Khabib if they fought, but boy, do I want? Am I sad we're never gonna see that fight? That would have been. Again, it's not going to happen, but that would have been really good, right? You got a uh, Oliveira's game has become really interesting. He has a, some solid fundamentals in the boxing, decent kicks. He doesn't kick as much as he used to, but he'll throw kicks. What I think started differentiating him from a lot of the other people he's been fighting, he's really good about grabbing a clinch if he's in the pocket because he's, It's going to sound really weird, but Oliver is not great in prolonged pocket exchanges. He wants to be, again, prolonged. It's not that he can never find success there. He either wants to be more all the way at kind of like the end of boxing range, or all the way into a clinch. So anytime you kind of get into that middle space, he'll grab you for a, go after a a tie clinch. And he throws knees. He's got really good knees. uh, And people don't like grappling with him for good reason. Actually, I actually think that's what makes the the hypothetical Khabib fight so interesting, what makes uh, a more possible fight with, uh, blank on the name, Islam Makashev. Like, a lot of other people... Look, uh, Gaethje, both times he dropped Oliveira, he just was not going to engage with him on the ground. And I think I saw Danny Segura say that Oliveira's grappling is so dangerous, he's basically invented the standing eight count in MMA. People knock him down, and they let him take his time getting back up. So, it's, it's a thought. But you know, Habib or uh, I think if he fights Islam Makashev, they will, Habib would have, and Makashev will go into his guard. Now, whether that's a death sentence or not certainly remains to be seen, but they would, I mean, even Michael Chandler did. You know, he dropped uh, Oliveira and then got on top. And, you know, he, Had to deal with a little bit of Olivera's guard play, but he was willing to go to work from there. I mean, Paul Craig... Not Paul Craig, sorry. Paul Felder. Uh, He surprised a lot of people when he, he survived that Darce choke in the first round. The last guy that beat Olivera was Paul Felder. And then he just decided, okay, I think I feel something here in the guard. And he stayed down there, and he just eventually elbowed Olivera into unconsciousness. Uh... Look, you've got to know what you're doing down there. You can't be, fl- you can't be flippant about your overall grappling acumen. But uh, there's a bu- there's a few people who I think have missed the boat a little bit by so assiduously avoiding that part of the game with him. Now, again, it's still dangerous. But uh, I-, I think if you're a good enough guy on top, you can you can stall him out a little bit. Like he'll play guard, and you can deal damage. But uh, the point there was the clinch. Because he's reaching for it and people don't really want to engage with him there, they let him get off a little bit. Throw some knees, maybe sneak in an elbow. And he's become really good at catching you as you're exiting that space. That's where the right that he dropped Gagey with came in that space. Uh, He's developed a real kind of. Uh, instinctive timing about these things, too. He's great about catching you when you're trying to reset. Uh, he caught he caught Chandler mid-exchange, but he was able to give Poirier a few problems there, and the pace that he puts on and the forward pressure are... He is drowning people. Like, he's getting hit, and he's getting hurt. His left eye was busted up by Gagey in this fight. But what he's doing is forcing you to fight him on the feet where he's good you can hurt him but he's good and you're so assiduously avoiding a fundamental portion of the mixed martial arts game that you're you're exposed more to some of his plan to some of his striking and anytime he does hurt you or get you a little bit out of position he is a nightmare in the grappling department uh, and he is breaking guys down. He's on an 11-fight winning streak. Became the champion. Defended the belt. And he's finishing people quickly. I mean, he stopped Michael Chandler in the second round. He stopped Dustin Poirier in the third, I think. Is that the third? Gonna get, I think it was the third. Yeah. Here he chokes out Gagey in the first round. Now, needs to be said, because the Khabib comparison comes up, it took Khabib into the second. True, it did. Khabib also took a lot less damage <laughs> from Gagey than Oliveira did. So, there's there's a bit of a trade-off there. I mean, that said, yeah, he did it in three minutes. Uh, really, again, for a three-minute fight, pretty darn good. Uh, sucks for Gagey. But this, I'm not going to say this was his last gasp at the belt, but you lose twice, it's a harder road back for another shot. Not impossible, but it's hard. Uh, Oliveira is still still going, you know, I'm the champion, you're not the champion. Look, the, the UFC championship is a very concrete thing in some ways. It is the title the UFC bestows on whoever was the best fighter on that particular night and who they choose to recognize as their champion. And that's not you. Sorry. The UFC could, if they wanted to. There was nothing stopping them. I mean, that was one of the funny things about the aftermath, was Dana going, you know, we've got rules. You will fight for the vacant belt. You were willing to hand Al Iaquinta the title if you beat Khabib in that fight. And Iaquinta did the same thing. He weighed like 155, I think. Or 155 and a half. He he did not make championship weight. And you're saying, yeah, we'll recognize him as champion anyway. Because the UFC can do whatever they want. These are their titles. They are not beholden to anyone. So the UFC could just say, no, you're the... They could hand him the belt back. They're not going to. Uh, for any number of reasons. But they could. Uh, is Charles Oliver the best lightweight in the world? I already said I think so. Yeah, I think he is. Um... I don't know who he fights for the vacant belt. There's a few different options here. Uh, you're almost spoiled for choice, but a few of them are a little bit wonkier. Uh, you've got Islam Mikashev, which is the fight I would be most interested in personally. But for some reason, the UFC is still pissy at Mikashev, or at least Dana is. Dana at the post-fight presser going, I still think you know Islam Mikashev versus Benil Daryush makes a lot of sense. Just get out of here with that crap. That's, again, that's utter crap. Uh, That's, again, that's you guys being bitter at him because the thing between him and Rafael Dos Santos on short notice never quite came together. And and really, you should be pissy at Ali Abdelaziz rather than Islam Akashev, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, He's the one that I think they should go with. Now, as for the other options, again, you've got a few of them. You've got Michael Chandler. Now, that's a bit of a harder sell because they fought already. You, I'm not saying you couldn't sell the rematch. You could. And we'll talk about Chandler in more detail in a minute or two here. I'm, again, I'm not saying you couldn't sell a rematch between those two because you absolutely could. But that's... Again, that's a little bit less... Not quite as likely. Uh, you've got... where's the other one that kind of surprised me? Um... Dustin Poirier's lobbying for another crack at it, That's and that's a hard sell. Uh, frankly, I think the fight to make for Poirier is Poirier versus Michael Chandler, but uh, I, again, I'll save that for talking about Chandler in a minute when we talk about his fight with Ferguson. Uh, you know, there is Daryush, believe it or not. Um, I don't quite think that that's the most likely scenario of the... ...of all the options, but it is a possibility that needs to be acknowledged. You got a fight coming up, but if he wins... So, that's an outside option. And then you've got... I don't want to say it, but I have to say it because I have to be honest. I, I'm i not going to sit here and pretend that there's no chance the UFC decides... ...that Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira is the fight to make. I don't want to see it. I find it the least compelling option... Uh, I mean, Olivera would win that fight. Uh, it, I'm sure Connor would hit him once or twice. He might even drop him. But at this point, Olive How did I hear this put? I think I heard Luke Thomas put it like this. Or it's something akin to this. It is... It's not impossible to, to hurt Charles Olivera. But at the moment, it does seem almost impossible to hurt him enough to stop him he he will not be deterred i don't know what he figured out about himself or how he figured it out but he is operating at the very best he could be operating at uh, i think he would uh, i think he would absolutely smoke connor and i have no interest in that and connor seems to be a bit more interested in fighting at 170 rather than coming down to 155 again That's up in the air, and we don't even really have a solid timetable for Connor's return, but I'm I'm just not going to pretend that that's not a thing. It's not a thing I want to see, but it would be disingenuous of me to to sit here and pretend that that's not a possibility. I don't even think it's a very likely possibility, given the the lay of the land, but I'm also, again, I'm not going to pretend that the chance of it happening is zero, because it's not zero. Uh, I don't know what Gagey does next. Uh I mean yeah. There's fights you could make for him at lightweight. Uh and there's plenty of lightweight, you know, got plenty of bodies. You know him versus Darius is not the worst thing in the world. Uh they remade The UFC they remade um Dosanjos and Rafael Fiziev. He could fight the winner of that. Uh, I mean, him and RDA sounds like a good time either way. I mean, good time for me. So there's... It's not that there's no options, but... You lose twice in your title fights. I... I think some of the limitations of Gaethje's... Overall game are starting to show themselves a little bit. And... I don't think it's a fixable issue at this point. I might be wrong about that. But... That's that's kind of my read on it, man. Trevor, Rip, Trevor Whitman had a rough night last night, believe it or not. Doesn't happen often to him, but... Uh, I'll say more about... Like, I don't think they had a bad game plan for Oliveira. I think Oliveira forced a fight this way. Look, there were issues of execution for Gagey. He was overswinging pretty early. Uh, he threw himself off balance at least once, and anytime somebody's doing that, it's not a good sign. But I mean, it's not like he didn't have success. Uh, just Oliveira's really good about forcing you to fight the way he wants you to fight, and it's gonna take somebody special putting forth a serious effort to overcome that. So, I hope we get Oliveira and Islam Akashev. I think that's the most. Here's why I think that fight's interesting. Let me uh, let me do the old statistics thing here. Uh, because Islam Akashev has a couple of truly. Crazy stats. But if we look first at Oliveira. uh, Oliveira tends to land three and a half strikes a minute. Now, interesting thing about Oliveira's statistics is they stretch back over a long period of time. I mean, his... Charles Oliveira debuted in the UFC. Uh... How long ago was it? Uh, like earlier than 10. No, it was 10. In 2010, he beats Darren Elkins via armbar. So we've got 12 years worth of data on this guy. I imagine if you limited that, if we took a different subset of his uh, career, like if you looked at his last five fights. That would be what? Nick Lentz, Jared Gore... uh, Let's go five. So Gagey, Poirier, Chandler, Ferguson, and Lee. I think if you looked at his most recent fights, uh, that would be higher. His strikes landed per minute would be higher than three and a half, which is high already. But Islam Makashev has the... Craziest statistic I think I've ever seen. I've mentioned this before. Uh, If you look at his strikes absorbed per minute, it's .8. .8. You're not even hitting this guy once a minute. I mean, Bobby Green hit him nine times. In their fight. That ended in the first round. Um, Maybe a better one. Oh, yeah, here. Tiago Moises. That fight went into the fourth round. Tiago Moises over four rounds. So, again, into the fourth. 238 of the fourth. So, 17 minutes. Landed 13 strikes. I... (laughs) Charles Oliveira will put that stat to the test in a very real way. Uh, because that's either going to change drastically given how Oliveira fights, or it's not, and that makes Islam Akashev maybe the scariest guy you could fight in that division. I mean, if someone who fights like Charles Oliveira can't meaningfully land offense on Islam Akashiv at a greater at a higher rate than that, maybe nobody can. That's the fight I'm most interested in seeing. Uh, Hopefully they make it. Again, that would be for the vacant title. Pretty good three-minute fight, and we needed it after the co-main event because, oh boy. Uh, Oh, one other thing about Oliveira. I'll say the last thing. Um... There's been some discussion, depending on how trolly you want to be about this, about whether or not uh, Charles Oliveira is going to surpass Khabib Nurmagomedov as the greatest lightweight of all time. Um, Losing the title on the scale here and not notching a second title defense hurts a little bit. Winning helps. If he wins the title back... I've mentioned this statistic before, but there has never been a two-time UFC lightweight champion. Uh, This goes all the way back to the history of that title. Which... If you're curious... Pulver wins it in 2001. He's the inaugural champion. Uh, He leaves the UFC due to a contract dispute. The UFC folds the division... In 2003, after BJ Penn and Kaoluno fight to a draw, they reinstitute it in 2006. Sean Shirk defeats Kenny Florian. Uh, Shirk then defeats... People don't talk about this fight a lot, and I'm going to bring this one up relative to our next fight, because uh, the fight between Sean Shirk and Hermes Franca is to date... The fight with the lowest total strikes landed in a UFC title fight ever. But Shirk defends it against Franca. He's then stripped of the title after failing a drug test. BJ Penn wins it in one of the all-time lopsided title title fights ever when he beats Joe Stevenson. BJ Penn has his reign. He loses to Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar loses to Benson Henderson. Benson loses it to Anthony Pettis. Pettis loses it to Rafael dos Anjos. Dos loses it to Alvarez, loses it to McGregor. It's then stripped, and Khabib wins it. Khabib retires undefeated. Oliveira wins it, gets one title defense, and then is stripped of the belt. There has never been a two-time champion in the history of the lightweight division. Now, there's a couple of those fights that uh, are close. The second fight, the rematch between Frankie Edgar and Benson Henderson in particular could have easily gone Edgar's way. But it didn't, ultimately. Uh, BJ Penn, his rematch with Frankie was even less competitive than their first fight. Their first fight was close. I still scored it for Frankie, but there were some dubious scorecards on that fight. Uh, but if Oliver is able to become the first-ever two-time UFC lightweight champion, especially if he does it, say, by beating Mikashev or someone... like, there's, He's going to have a really strong case. Uh, just throwing that out there. All right. Co-main event, Carla Esparza defeats Rose Nama Yunus via split decision. There was a 48-47 for Nama Yunus, a 48-47 for Esparza, and a 49-46 for Esparza. Carla Esparza becomes... The she has the longest time period between winning uh, between being a champion like in UFC history, because she was the inaugural uh, strawweight champion, then got beat to crap by Joanna Janjacek. That was. Speaking of lopsided title fights, very, man, I remember that fight. Uh, I remember that fight, man. Uh, anyway, then 2,200 days later, she beats Nama Yunus here to reclaim the belt. This fight sucked. I don't have anything else to say. These two did nothing. Uh, there was a lot of circling. A bit of fainting. Most of the strikes both of them threw were missing by, like, six inches. I mean, these guys... They did not really come close to landing anything. Esparza... barely got a couple of takedowns that led to... She had less than... She had, like, some stupidly low number of control time. Uh... Yeah, let me let me bring up the official. Yeah, she was credited with a total of 22 seconds of control time over five rounds. Uh, she was only 2 of 11 on her takedown attempts. Zero. I mean, look, these two total landed 68 strikes. 68 strikes over five rounds. 38 for Nama and 30 for Esparza. That's total. That's not significant. That's total. Uh, I mean, let me, do the, let me do the per round thing. Round one. Rosenami Yunus lands 4 of 19. Carlos Barzer lands 4 of 19. Look, if that first round isn't a 10 10, then there is no such thing. They land the same number of strikes. I would argue they had the same amount of impact. And this, again, this is not just the number. Like, did one of them land a solid strike? No. Neither of them got a takedown. Neither of them had any sort of meaningful cage control time. Neither of them was even demonstrably the aggressive party. Round two. Nami Yunus lands three of 14. Esparza lands four of 22. And fails on a takedown. Round three, Nama Yunus lands 11 of 36. It's a bit more in line with average. That's still low. Uh, Esparza lands 9 of 32. And Esparza fails on three takedowns. She is credited with two seconds of control time. There wasn't really a takedown, but there was a bit of a back take, I seem to recall. Uh, Round four, Nama Yunus, 6 of 28. Esparza, 8 of 29. Esparza was 2 of uh, two of five on takedowns, and was credited with 20 seconds of total control time. She had the back briefly. I think 20 seconds isn't brief, but that there was a there. I think this is one of the times where they hit the fence. Like again, very briefly. Round five, Nami Yunus is 13 of 39. Esparza is five of 31. Fails on two takedowns. Rose gets one takedown, right at the end of the fight. For you to understand how bad this fight was, it's not... Look, the crowd booed a lot. And I'm not... I never like that. Um, I just don't... uh, For a variety of reasons, but... For rounds like three and four, so for a solid ten minutes of fighting... The commentary team was essentially just debating whether or not this was the worst UFC title fight ever. That's all they were doing. Like, oh man, you remember, uh, you know, Woodley and Wonderboy, at least the first the first Woodley and Wonderboy fight was, you know, okay, but was the second one and well, Tyron Woodley at least hit Steven Thompson a couple of times. There was a drop in there. Or, you know, there was Anderson Silva and Damian Maya. And at least Anderson came out aggressive and Maya closed aggressive. It's a weird fight. That's just a weird fight, man. Uh, Or, I mean, you could talk Woodley and Maya. At least that had interesting grip fighting going on. I mean, again, you're not going to go too deep into the tank because, look, if you want to talk about just some of the worst UFC title fights, I mean, I already brought up Sean Shirk and Aramis Franca. That's... Nobody remembers that because most people didn't see it. I mean, I don't imagine most of the current fan base is even aware that that's a fight that transpired. But that's one. Uh, the third fight between Tim Sylvia and Andrei Arlovsky is just awful. Tim Sylvia and Jeff Munson is pretty bad. Uh, I think that one gets a bit of a. I I have to bring that one up because I was watching at the time, so I think that one got a little bit. Uh, I think the reaction to that was overblown relative to how bad it was. It's certainly not great, but it, it's pretty bad. There there are people who just uh really were down on that one immediately, and, and I think that was slightly overblown. It's still not good. Uh, it's another really bad one. I mean, I you know, mentioned a few of Tyron Woodley's, which is a Unfortunate for Tyron, but he had some stinkers. Um, Anderson had some weird ones. Uh, They brought up... You know, I know it's recent. But, uh, you know, the last Israel Adesanya one was a little... uh, Adesanya Adesanya Whitaker 2 wasn't that bad. But, I mean, Adesanya Romero was weird. Again, maybe not the worst thing in the world, but it was certainly weird. Uh, The long and the short of that is that's what they spent 10 minutes talking about because there was nothing else to talk about relative to what was going on in the cage. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, It just... I'm not entirely... This is one of those fights that I might... Have to rewatch to try and figure out what the heck happened because I don't understand some of this I understand All right I understand Rose not wanting to be overly aggressive and get double legged. I understand that I understand Esparza not wanting to spend any time in middle distance where she can be hit and is too far out to shoot. And is too far out to really land punches of her own. So, and you just wound up with this weird feedback loop. Uh, I think Rose's footwork was a big contributor to this in a negative way, and I've I've noticed this about her in the past. Uh, you can see this when she fights Jessica Andraj both times. She's very good about changing angles, which is, which is a good skill to have. I think the problem that she ran into here and has run into in the past, when it would service her better to be more linear, I don't think that's a gear she can hit. And I, I just mean that in the following way. Um, Esparza can be pressured. It's not the easiest thing to do in the world because, again, her timing on takedowns is pretty darn good. And I think and I think Rose was very, very cognizant of that. But if you look at the people who have had really solid success against her, that's one of the things they do. They kind of push her back to the fence. And is not great about angling. She's not good about kind of the dancing around style of footwork, and Rose is. And the problem that developed for Rose was well, she never had control over the real estate in a way that would allow her to impose a more damaging style of fighting. If you back Asparza more to the fence, and she only has the one way to kind of move, you can then dictate a bit more of what's going on, you can, especially if you're the taller, longer fighter, and Rose is. You could have then moved into a more comfortable punching or kicking range, done damage, and been able to avoid the consequences because she kept moving the way she kept moving that never became an option for her it was always just moving in a lot of very open space and aspars was happy to move in open space so she's far enough away to not get hit i uh, think you just got this weird feedback loop um the fight sucked can't put it any other way this is going to my worst fight of this is going to be one of my nominees for worst fight of the year I don't know where it'll land inevitably, but this was terrible. Uh, again, if I want to try and really figure out what's going on, I might have to rewatch this and really pay attention, um, and I might do that as an academic exercise at some point. But I don't think, as far as it gets a successful title defense, um, she's probably going to have to fight the winner. This is the UFC's talking point. Now, this is pursuant to a few other things, but. They're looking to do her versus the winner of Yin Yenjecik and Zhang Weili. They're having that rematch. I don't especially care for Esparza's chances against either of those women. Joanna, uh, again, if you didn't watch Joanna when she just massacred Esparza to win the belt the first time, uh, that was something. That was something else, man. Uh, and I think she'd probably do something similar in a rematch. And I think Zhang's probably too strong physically for Esparza. Uh, I would not favor her against either of those ladies. Not to say she couldn't win. You know, Ioana's been through wars at this point and is not the same. uh, She's not in the same position that she was when they first fought. And Zhang's never really had to fight a strong wrestler, so we're not quite sure how that would play out, but... I would favor either of them to beat sparza uh it's but yeah, there were people online going, <laughs> yeah, can we just vacate the title? That fight was so bad, yeah, uh, about the scoring, um Rose had a weird thing that she said after the after the fight uh I mean one thing she kind of lashed out might be the wrong expression, but she pushed back you're saying that what I have to fight uh your blood and guts every time you know I'm not allowed to have a tactical fight. I have to fight in a way that messes up my face every time, and she's got a point there, like no, she and to anyone saying that, you know look if if you choose to fight this way, uh, you know there's perils and pitfalls with that, but she's entirely correct when she says, you know, I don't have to. if I choose to fight a more strategic fight than I can, you know, I don't owe anyone a blood and guts war. That's very true. The other thing, the other kind of soundbite that came out of this was that she said, you know, I deserve to win that fight. I stuck to the strategy. Well, half of that is true. You sure stuck to the strategy. But, uh, that doesn't mean... You do not deserve to win a fight... Because you did something. Because you stuck to a strategy. I mean, you can say that sticking to a... In a broader sense, sticking to a strategy, if it's a good strategy, will result in success more often than not. But if you stick to a strategy, and it's a losing strategy, you do not get bonus points for sticking to the strategy. Like Just because you, you stuck to a predetermined tactical decision does not mean you are entitled to success. Uh, Just a weird... And I I don't think she's trying to connect them in that way. But it's a soundbite, so that's kind of what comes across. Uh, Again, just about the scoring. The only thing I don't think you could score this is 50-45 either way. I think Nama Yunus clearly had the fifth. And Esparza had the fourth. I think those are the only somewhat clear rounds. I scored the first round at 10. I think I scored this a draw when it was all said and done because I gave the first round at 10 10. You could argue the first three. Not sure I'd agree with you on everyone, but you could make that argument. Uh, Neither commentary said this is one of the things commentary said, and I agree with them on this one. If you fight like this, you surrender all right to be annoyed at the decision. And I think that's true. When you choose to fight this kind of fight, you, you're, you're trying to hang your hat on I should win on the this, the dumbest minutia of the judging criteria. And frequently it's informed by your very warped perspective because you're the one of the ones in the cage. I mean, there are people who were throwing flack at the notion that Trevor Whitman said she was up four rounds at one point. I mean, you uh, look, one, he might just be doing positive affirmations to Rose who might respond better to being told positive things like that. Cor- you know, cornering someone is a lot about psychology rather than honesty. Some people react better to honesty, some people don't. Who knows? But if he had like if you told me you had Rose winning four rounds to one, I like, what am I gonna do? If I told you that was my scorecard, what are you gonna do? You say I'm crazy? You really want to argue this? You really want to argue this any individual round? I tell you, I give you Carlo the I'll give Carlo the fourth. I give Rose every other round. What are you gonna hang your hat on if you want to tell me I'm wrong? You might disagree, but there is no empirical reality under the under the accepted scoring criteria to say I'm wrong. So, no, I don't think Trevor Whitman was wrong to score it that way, assuming he's even being honest about what he was seeing, because he's trying to help his fighter. Uh... I don't know who came up with the strategy for Rose. I imagine it was more Pat Barry uh, than Trevor Whitman. Just a hunch. Um, they were giving, and I think Dean Thomas mentioned this at one point. Uh, there was some conflicting advice going on in that corner. Not hugely conflicting, not like arguing with each other, but you had Pat Barry saying you're doing great, stick to the strategy. And you had Trevor Whitman at various points going, you did good. You've got her timing. She's not a threat to you. Now we can open up. Now we can apply the pressure. I mean, going into the fifth round, he's like, okay, time to have fun. You're the best fifth round fighter in the sport. Time to show it. Uh, so I knew I, a little bit of disconnect there. Um I don't know what. Joanna just savaged Carlos Barza on uh, Instagram or what have you afterwards. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just tore her to shreds. So I, yeah, look, man, the fight sucked. Neither woman should feel, could feel great about the scoring. Neither woman can complain about it. This was just a terrible, terrible fight. Uh yeah, just terrible. Uh not terrible. Michael Chandler knocks out Tony Ferguson with a front kick to the face 17 seconds into the second round. Uh we had a good first round between these two. Uh Ferguson gets a knockdown at one point with a left hand. He kind of shifted into it. Uh Chandler recovered. The striking was going Tony's way. Not you know not like one way traffic, but it was going his way. Chandler had this beautiful double leg. Uh, they spend the spend the rest of the round in guard. Tony throwing elbows off his back, Chandler throwing short elbows and you know, punches. I actually gave Tony the first round. Uh, second round, Chandler sees a shift from Ferguson, and Ferguson shifts a lot. He did. He was a little bit more settled southpaw in this fight. But he still switches. And one of the dangers of switching, depending on how you do it, is it exposes your center line. If someone else gets timing on it, you wind up being square. Somewhat compounding this is Tony Ferguson's hand position. He doesn't usually... His hands are usually a little bit wider and a little bit lower. Now, this is just a choice. There's reasons to keep them high, there's reasons to have them lower, there's... Again, this is a... As long as you understand the fundamentals of why you're doing what you're doing, you can do a lot. There's a lot of room here for how to do something. This is how Tony Ferguson chooses to fight. Unfortunately, when your hands are a little bit lower, and a little bit wider, and you're shifting, you expose your center line. And... Chandler threw the f- this front kick from hell. I mean, this wasn't. If you rewatch um, what Anderson Silva did to Vitor, that was a that was a a lot of snap on that kick. Like it hits and it hits solid, but it kind of snaps in back. And then Machida had the chicken kick more than anything else. Uh, this was all like th- what was it they co- like? This was like a field goal kick. I mean, just brutal. All follow-through. This was... Man, this was a bad knockout. Tony fell like a non-comical flare-flop. Like, boom, and then face-forward, crumpled. He was out for a while. Uh... What was it Teddy Atlas said about, uh... He described Michael Chandler as a heat-seeking missile. He will find you. Uh, not inaccurate. Not inaccurate at all. Uh, you know, brutal knockout. This is going to be one of the knockouts of the year. I don't know exactly where it'll place. So we've got a lot of. We've got six months and change still to go. So. Seven? That would be 12. Eight. Yeah, so we've got yeah seven months ish. Uh. You're going to have to do something special to beat this, though. Tony Ferguson had never been knocked out. Uh, he'd been submitted way early in his career. Gagey got the standing TKO. Gagey never even knocked him down, which is one of the craziest things about that fight. Uh, that Gagey never scored a knockdown when he did what he did to Tony. And now just brutal, brutal knockout. Uh, after the fight, Chandler said he wants a title shot, or he'll go up, he will... Happily accommodate Conor McGregor for a fight at 170. Again, we don't know what Conor McGregor's return timetable is at this point, so I am i don't take stuff involving Conor seriously at this point until there's something substantive to support it. But... I think the fight to make as far as that goes, from, I mentioned this earlier, I want to see Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier. We had four guys who were just these action oriented, blood and guts hammers. And we saw most of the iterations of their, uh, most of the permutation involving them. I'm thinking specifically of Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, and Dustin Poirier. Like those four guys, you know, they brought the heat, right? And we've seen. Uh, We saw Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier twice. We saw Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler twice. We saw Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. We saw Gaethje and Chandler. We saw Gaethje and Poirier. The only one we haven't seen is Poirier and Chandler. And I think you could easily attach a number one contendership to those two fighting. Um, Assuming the UFC stops dicking around with Poirier for whatever reason. Uh, That's... I think that's the fight you try to make. Uh, Though, uh, man, Michael Chandler just must see TV. And for the record, I know the Chandler and Alvarez fights took place in Bellator, but if if you're so much of a... (sighs) Snob's not the right word. If you're a UFC-only guy, uh, do yourself a favor, look up the fights between Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler in Bellator. They're excellent, excellent fights. Uh, as for Tony, this really sucks, man. Now at a four-fight losing streak, and those losses are getting worse, right? Uh, you take a potentially career-altering beating from Justin Gagey. one of the most brutal fights you'll ever see. You loo- But it's Gagey. still one of the best. You lose to Charles Oliveira. Uh, you get out grappled, you almost get your arm broken in the first round. Uh, you lose in similar fashion to Benil Dariush. Now you get knocked out. Now, again, none of these are bad fighters. In fact, he's only losing to guys who are easily top ten, if not top seven in the world. Certainly in the UFC. Again, Gagey, Oliveira, uh, Dariush, and now Chandler. Like These are top-tier lightweights. But the trajectory for Tony is bad. He looked good in the first round. I thought he won the first round, but he need. I think we're done seeing him at the uh, at the truly elite level. I don't know if that if he's going to stick around and try to do what guys like Arlovsky and uh, Jim Miller have done and just extend your career, but. I don't know that his fighting style allows for that. You know, those guys... Andreilovsky is a very careful fighter these days. Uh, somewhat as is Jim Miller. For understandable reasons, but... Uh, I don't know that Ferguson can fight like that. And that leads to higher highs. But it is not the best for long. It's weird that I say not the best for longevity. The guy's been around for a long time. I should say it does not allow for a long decline. Like, the back end of your career comes a lot faster when you have a career fighting like this. Then, again, like, Arlovsky and Jim Miller are still getting it done. They're not world champions. They never will be at this point in time. But they fight in such a way that allows them to continue fighting in the UFC. And... Uh, Their overall career structure has led them to this kind of healthier longevity, and the way Tony fights, I don't think, just lends itself to that. But I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, this one, like, I don't think the UFC is going to cut him, unless he wants out, and this was nearer to the end of his deal. I mean, in the lead up to this, Tony uh, was—he was pretty vocal. He likened the UFC to drug dealers. Was not happy with overall pay for fighters. Uh, was not happy about the restrictive nature of his contract. He says he wanted to do other things. He's been looking at trying to do other things, but he can't. So he went, uh, not full scorched Earth, but uh, he let some of his displeasure be known. So I don't know exactly what the future holds for him, but I think he's done being in the tidal orbit. Uh, The rest of these should go a little bit quicker. There was a lot to unpack with some of those. The rest of these, not so much. Um, Ovin St. Prue defeated Mauricio Shogun. Hua via Split Decision, 29-28. Again, two for OSP, one for Hua. This fight sucked. My brother, my youngest brother, uh, who I occasionally, who watches him, he's a fan of MMA. Uh, Not a hardcore fan, but more than the purest of casuals. He was leaving after this fight ended, and we kind of commiserated briefly about how much this fight sucked, and it did. Um, This is a terrible fight. Uh, Again, I don't approve of the booing that this fight got, because I don't generally like fights being booed. Boo a decision if you disagree. Boo after the fact. But I'm just not the biggest fan of booing during a fight. Uh, and you know, let me say this: It would not surprise me if some eighty percent of the current M- UFC fan base—I mean, maybe even MMA in general—but certainly UFC's fan base does not even know who Shogun is. You are like two generations of fans removed from Shogun as UFC champion. And you are at least three, if not more, removed from his epic, epic run through the Pride uh, Grand Prix in 2005. Like uh, Again, if we go back to that 2005 Grand Prix, I'll t- uh, three generations of fighters have fallen out since then, of fans. Uh, 2005 was, I believe, the year of the ultimate fighter. So... Shogun has his best year around this time that the tough guys show up. Fans. So he's got that generation. The Brock generation. And the Connor generation. Which is kind of on its way out right now. But again, you're you, whoever the current generation of fans is. Whether you want to call that the Connor, Ron, the Connor Rousey crowd. In fact, most of the Rousey crowd has gone. A lot of people who came in with Ronda are not around anymore. Not all of them, but a lot. But you might even—we might even be in a fourth generation. I don't know what you'd call it. Would you just call it the ESPN era. Maybe you could. But the—the the point is, like, you're dealing with a whole generation of fans, as we chronicle generations of fandom, who have no idea who Shogun is. Who never saw him as champion, uh, much less saw what he did in Pride. And those of us who have been around long enough, yeah, like Shogun's freaking royalty. But if you came in, if you became an MMA fan with Conor, or Ronda, or even Brock, not quite as much Brock. Shogun was still kind of relevant, depending on when you were around that time period. But, like you just never saw what this guy was capable of. You don't understand why he's royalty, and that's sad. And the people, look, man, the people online, like, how dare you boo Shogun? You not understand what this man has given to us, guys? No, they don't. They just don't. Uh, most of the fan, most of the contemporary fans, didn't even see his first fight with Dan Henderson, which is the stuff of legend. Did not see his fights in pride. Did not see him become UFC champion. They just don't know. Uh, And the fight sucked. I understand it. I don't condone it, but I do understand. Um, I think I scored this for St. Prue, but... God. This fight sucked. If there was going to be a sad old man fight between this and Cerrone and Lozon that fell out, I wanted it to be this one. Um, just a lot of nothing. You know, Shogun landed some inside leg kicks. St. Prue landed front kicks to the... Like, this was not as bad as Esparza and Namajunas. These two actually landed blows. Uh, what do we do overall on this one, just very briefly? Yeah, OSP landed 62 strikes over the course of this fight. Shogun, 54. So, (laughs) OSP on his own. Almost landed as many total strikes as uh, Asparza and Namayunas did combined in their fight. So, it it wasn't as bad as that one, but this was a bad fight. There's not any other way to put it. Apparently, Shogun has one more fight left on his UFC deal, and and Dana White said, yeah, we'll let him fight out his contract. I... Again, man, I have a lot of reverence for what Shogun has done in the sport. But he's been washed for a while. Uh, He got a couple of wins that he should not have, that by all logic, he should not have gotten on his current streak. It's, I mean, the guy was a dynamo. He was one of the, he's one of those guys, if you look at his early fights, and I, if you're curious, I have a, like, career retrospective on Shogun. They did at the request of Jeff Harris. Uh, During the pandemic, I wanted to keep busy and keep the podcast at least somewhat busy. So I would I did career retrospectives on a few guys. And one of them was Shogun. And if you've never seen what that man did early in his career. Fire up Fight Pass. Go find it. Understand what he used to be. And what he has given to the sport. But he's not that guy anymore. He's had too many knee injuries. He had too many wars. You know, and he catches up with everybody, man. It just does uh so I, I don't again, I don't know what they do with Shogun for his last fight. I don't really care uh, I would like them to try and find a quasi nostalgia fight to make if at all possible. I don't know what it would be at this point, but I don't need to see him against a hungry young up and comer in his farewell fight like if you if show if you're gonna usher Shogun out the door. And I don't think it's wrong to do so. I would like it to be a fun... Again, a, a more nostalgia kind of driven fight. Rather than feeding him to... You know, someone who's on his way up and is looking to like massacre people. I don't know what you do with Ovin St. Peru. It's not like he's in a much better position. Uh, yeah, not a good... Oh, sorry, I I was incorrect about the scorecards. One judge was 30-27 for St. Prue. Uh, Which I think is... I don't agree with that one. Um, I forget which round it was that I... 29-28 either way is acceptable. It's not a good fight. Um, But speaking of split decisions, our opener for the main card, Randy Brown defeats Chaos Williams via split decision. 229-28 229-28 for Brown, 129-28 for Williams. Not a terribly difficult fight to score. Williams gets the first, Brown the second. Third round's where things get dicey. Brown is doing a lot of good work. Then he gets knocked down. Little bit off balance, but the punch definitely connected. Then Brown gets up and gets back to work. And it, it's kind of a question of... You know, it's hard to win a round after you've been knocked down. Not impossible, especially under the MMA criteria. And I thought he did. Now, that said, if you gave that last round to Williams, I'm not based on the knockdown. I think that's I think that's defensible, certainly. So 29, 28, either way is fine. Randy Brown seems to finally kind of be finding himself. So good for him. He's got a good frame. Uh, he's a long guy for welterweight, man. He is all limb. I mean, he's a tall guy. He's like 6'2, I think. But he's 6'3, excuse me. Yeah, he's got like a 78 inch reach. And his legs are even. I mean, your legs are always longer, but like he's got an, he's all limbs. If he can really figure out how to make that work, he's a he's a tough guy at welterweight. Uh, so that was your main card. <sighs> Weird main card again. The first fight, Brown and Williams is not a bad fight. Uh, not a bad fight at all. But you had two like serious all-time. I mean one all time suck fest and then St. Prue and Shogun was just not good either. And around that you also had Chandler Ferguson, which was great for five minutes and seventeen seconds, and a darn good three and a darn good three minute fight. I mean Gagey and Oliveira, just for context, in that three minutes landed as was it as many or almost as many strikes as Yeah, those two almost Landed as many total strikes in three minutes as Esparza and Namayunas did in five rounds. So, <laughs> yeah. That was your main card. Uh, as for the rest of these, I'll go fast through these. Francisco Tornaldo defeated Danny Roberts for unanimous decision, 29-28, 30-27, 30-26. 30-26 is perfectly justifiable. Uh, solid win for Tornado he's the old warhorse still out there getting it done. Uh, he hurt Roberts a few... Some weird decision-making from Tonaldo. He would hurt Roberts and then force, like, go for standing guillotines, allow himself to be clinched up. Uh, it's odd, odd decision-making. But Tronaldo's just... If you can find it, Jack Slack put out a filthy casuals guide to the gatekeeper, that is Francisco tonaldo and I don't say that unkindly. It was a nice little look at a guy who's been around forever, and it's just a tough roadblock to try and get around. Uh, catch weight next. Macy, Macy Chasson and Norma Dumont. Uh, Dumont missed weight. She was 146 and a half. She was one of the people who complained about the scale the calibration. Uh, there was a 29.28 for Dumont and 230.27 for Chasson. I I don't see 30.27 for Chasson. I thought Dumont had that last round. Like 29.28 for Chasson. I think is correct. Dumont should have won that last round. Uh, Giving it to Chasson is wildly overvaluing, holding someone on the cage, and then doing nothing. Uh, Chasson should be very, very grateful uh, that... uh, I think it was Keith Peterson was the ref for that. Let me double-check that. I think it was Peterson. Uh, Who was our right? Yeah, it was. Uh, Look, Keith Peterson... I'm not going to call him one of the worst refs in the game because he's not. He's absolutely not that. But he's a very disinterested referee a lot of the time. Like, he was the ref for Esparza and Namayunas, And frankly, at various points in that fight, the referee could and should have intervened to warn the fighters to actually fight and he let Chasson get away with so much wall install here like Chasson should just be thanking her lucky stars that it was Keith Peterson and not Mark Goddard or Herb Dean who would have separated them and again might have changed things but uh yeah Chasson, again Chasson is the rightful winner ultimately but did not have a good third round Flyweight Brandon Royval defeated Matt Schnell via a guillotine choke, 2-14 of the first. Good fight. Flyweights delivering, man. Schnell dropped Royval, but Brandon Royval is good about forcing you to play speed chess with him. And if you speed chess grapple with that guy, you better be v- like the very best, otherwise he will catch you in something. Uh, Royval called for a title shot, called out Brandon Moreno. Those two fought, and then uh, Moreno won. But uh, what facilitated that was... It's not that Brandon Moreno was losing. But they were going back and forth. And then uh, Roival's shoulder like popped out. And he lost the ability to really fight because of it. Got a late TKO in the first round, I think, for Moreno. Would love a rematch. Um, Roival's a legitimate contender at flyweight. Heavyweights... Blagoj Ivanov defeated Marcos Rogério de Lima of unanimous decision. 28 and 28 across the board. This fight sucked. Uh, I scored it for Ivanov. It's not a good fight. Um, a lot of... De Lima's good for about two minutes. Then everything kind of falls apart. Um, yeah, typical low-end heavyweight fare. Rest of the prelims, Andre Fialho defeated Cameron Van Camp via knockout, beautiful left hook, Uh, 235 of the first. Van Camp comes in, throws a left hook and a right uppercut, but if you don't have a good read on on your uppercut, you're open for a counter. Fialho's left hook is a very good punch anyway, slept him. Uh, Women's flyweight, Tracy Cortez defeated Melissa Gatto via unanimous decision, 20-28 across the boards. Fair play, not a bad fight. Uh, C.J. Vergara defeated Clemson Rodriguez via split decision, 29-28. So two for Vergara, one for Rodriguez. Fun little fight. Uh, not great, but uh, better than average. Uh, let's see. Lu- uh, Lupita Godinez defeated Ariane Carnalosa via unanimous decision. Uh 30 27 2 26 No issue with the 10-8 for Godinez. There's an argument for 30-25. Like, you could give Godinez a 10-8 second and third. Uh, I think I gave her a 10-8 third. But the, the argument's there. It uh, needs to be acknowledged. 30-27, actually, I, I take umbrage with. Like, that third round should have been a 10-8. Uh, not giving her one there seems wrong. But solid win for Godinez. And kicking everything off, Journey Newsom defeated Fernie Garcia of a unanimous decision. 230-27, 129-28. Uh, solid enough bantamweight fight. Not, again, not, that one didn't set the world on fire, but it wasn't a bad fight by any stretch of the imagination. So, on our, needs to be said about this, on our 14 fight card, which was originally 15, there were four finishes in 14 fights. This was a long one, folks. It just was. Uh, your bonuses... Fight of the night went to Royval and Schnell. Deservedly so. Performance of the night goes to Michael Chandler and Andre Fialho. No issues with that. Uh, yeah, no issues with that whatsoever. You know, Chandler deserved a... Fi- uh, that... Uh, Royval got out. They... I, I, was gonna, I think at one point I read that that was going to be... Um, that that was uh, Royval who had gotten a performance as well as fight. And I thought that did Fialho dirty. Uh, I think I either read that wrong, it was uh, incorrectly listed, but no issues with any of that, none whatsoever. Deserving fight of the night, deserving performance bonus. I mean, Chandler gave us an all-time knockout there. So, solid, again, good bonuses. Oh, because this is pay-per-view. Yourcrypto.com fan bonuses of the night, awards paid in Bitcoin. In first through third place, based on popularity voting of 30,000, 20,000, and 10,000, all again paid in Bitcoin. (sighs) These are stupid popularity contests, but they carry real financial consequences. Your first place winner is Rose Namayunis. This is what happens when you. (laughs) Um, This is the the old Homer Simpson line, right? When will people learn democracy doesn't work? Uh, this baffles me. Look, people just like Rose and wanted her to get more money, I suppose. Second place, Michael Chandler. Third place, Charles Oliveira. Oliveira was not eligible. Oliveira did get pay-per-view points, which was... The UFC was not obligated to do that since he was not a champion defending his belt. Uh, But they claim they they gave him his pay-per-view points anyway, which is shockingly decent of them. He was not eligible for any other bonuses, though. So, which does raise an interesting question. If the UFC will, in the future, potentially disqualify people from this bonus if they miss weight. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, ultimately, I suppose it's Crypto.com's prerogative, how they want to do this, and they're... Content to let it be a pure, stupid popularity contest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, those guys all get extra money, and... that I mean, look, my ragging on the voting aside, I'm not mad about any fighter getting more money at all. In fact, I'll yell about that in a bit more detail in a minute. All right. Rest of the combat sports weekend. Let's be pretty quick about this. Let me start with Bellator... Uh, they had their, I believe it was their first event in France. They were in Paris, I believe. Um, I think the only relevant things, yall uh, Romero got a last-second stoppage. His first win in Bellator looked pretty good. Uh, but their main event, and I know why they did this. I know why they did this. But I have to question why they thought it was going to go any way other than it did. Your main event was for the Bellator heavyweight title, champion Ryan Bader, defending against Czech Congo. Congo is a, he's not only French, I believe he is a Parisian. So I understand you want one of the people long associated with this sport from your country in your main event. But if I just told you Czech Congo and Ryan Bader are going to fight, how do you think it's going to go? It went exactly how you imagined it. Um, I I think my favorite tweet in relationship to this was after Esparza and Nama Yunus was congratulations to Czech Congo and Ryan Bader for not even being able to put on the worst title fight of the weekend. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. Yeah, wasn't a good fight. A lot of wrestling from Ryan Bader because he wins that way. So what are you going to do? Bigger boxing, bigger news in the combat sports world. From the world of boxing, uh, the undisputed... What is the weight class? Super middleweight, 168-pound champion. I think that's super middleweight. Uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez, the biggest draw in boxing, biggest star in the sport, one of the pound-for-pound best in the world. Took another fight at light heavyweight. That's 175 pounds. Uh, He had fought once before at that weight class, defeated world champion at the time, um, Sergei Kovalev. Fading Kovalev, older in his career, and Kovalev was doing quite well, actually, before he got knocked out. He vacated that title, I forget which one, to unify everything at 168. Here he fought champion uh, Dmitry Bival. Now, former contributor to this show and friend of mine, Pat Mullen, told me when this idea was being floated that, well... If you already knocked out Kovalev, like, there were a few options for Canelo if you wanted to try 175 again. Uh, he was, and... The guy, the man at 175, by most reckoning, is Ardor Betterbeev. By my reckoning, he's kind of the man. But there's no way Canelo was going to fight him. I th- that's a bad style matchup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the the notion was floated. Well, what about Dimitri Bivol? He's this undefeated guy... Uh, Again, world champion, and Pat cued me into a couple of his fights. Like, if watch these fights, and you know, you'll get a feel for the guy. So I did, because I take Pat's opinion seriously when it comes to combat sports, even if I disagree with him. Uh, he's a, a, obviously very educated on the subject, and said, you know, they're looking at Bevall, and I watched Bevall and went, I might, I would still favor Canelo, maybe because I overrate his abilities, but I watched that and went. That jab would be a problem. Dimitri Bevel has... I won't say the best jab in boxing. I think that's, that probably belongs to Alexander Usyk. But he's got a really good jab. And the size difference was apparent. Uh, ultimately, over the course of this fight... Dimitri Bivol wins... a unanimous decision... Over 12 rounds... Seven rounds to five. And here's my gripe about this. Those are terrible scores. Every judge gave Canelo the first four rounds and the ninth round. These are rid- that's ridiculous. Um, from what, again, I have not been able to watch this with a fine tooth comb. This took place the same time as Namajunas as I can tell you which fight I would have rather been watching live. But, uh, I did get a chance to watch it, uh, before I recorded this. I don't remember which two rounds, because I, I was not scoring this live when I watched it. Uh, because, again, I got to kind of watch it casually, so I just watched it to enjoy it. I don't know how you give Canelo that many rounds. I mean, you could. I maybe gave him two. I can't even remember which rounds they were. It wasn't the ninth? Like that 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 round in particular stands out. Like that's a bad round. Uh, most people I know, whose opinion I trust on this matter, were something like ten to two or eleven to one for B-Fall. But understand something about the state of boxing and whether this is corruption or everyone going with the flow in sort of an unconscious way or what have you. This is what you have to do to squeak out an official decision against Canelo. You have to win 10 rounds and they'll give you seven. Maybe. I mean, Canelo landed less punches in this fight than he did when he fought Floyd Mayweather. He could not deal with the size. He could not deal with the jab. He could not really deal with the footwork. Like, it, it, anyone who makes this just about the size of Bivol is really missing the point. The size is a factor, yes. But Bivol didn't beat him only because he was the bigger man. He beat him because he was the bigger man and the better fighter. When, As they matched up in, Again, if you want to go skill for skill... Is Canelo still maybe pound-for-pound better if you were to equalize all of their size issues? Yeah, maybe. I'd buy the argument. But, you know, pound-for-pound is a fun discussion that people like to have to kill time. When those two squared up, Beevil was the better fighter. Not just the bigger fighter, the better fighter. Uh, Canelo apparently is going to try to invoke... He's going to do an immediate rematch. I don't imagine it goes all that differently, but, hey, knock yourself out. Uh, So, again, the biggest star in boxing has his long winning streak snapped. Good win for Dimitri Bivol. That guy is uh, seriously underappreciated for his abilities. Uh, He's, uh, again, when Pat says pay attention to this guy, he's good. And uh, to Pat's eternal credit, and I've got the receipts for this, he said when they made that fight, I think Bivol beats him. Uh, again, kudos for that. Uh, again, solid fight. That's actually a pretty good... F- it's one-sided. But that's a relatively entertaining boxing fight. So, if you're interested, look it up. All right. That's the rest of the combat sports week. So, let's move on to UFC on ESPN 36. This coming Saturday, the UFC will be in. They'll be back in the Apex. Main event. Very relevant main event. Jan Blachowicz, former light heavyweight champion. And Alexander Rakic, rising contender. Um, Rakic only has the one loss in the UFC. It was a split decision loss to Volkan Uzdemir in 2019. I scored that fight for Rakic. I Could have easily gone his way. Since then, two unanimous decisions over Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos. Um this is not the first main event for Vulcan, uh excuse me for Alexander Rakic. It is, however, his first five round fight. His fight with Anthony Smith was promoted to the main event. This was August of twenty twenty. Um we were supposed to get Yair Rodriguez and Zabit Magomed Sharipov as the headliner. That fell apart. Um Rodriguez had an injury. Uh, sorry, that was which which sorry that fight's fallen apart so many times i forget which time it was which guy uh yeah injury ankle injury uh so they that was kind of a last minute thing so smith and rakitz just agreed to a 3 round fight uh but so this is his first 5 round fight be curious to see how he does uh i don't know how this one's going to go I'm a big believer in Rakich's abilities. He's a very good fighter. Um, Not to reference Pat again, but he's one of the guys that... Again, I take Pat seriously when he says stuff like this because he's got a good track record. He watched one of the Rakich fights. I think it was the fight with... um, Oh, what's his name? look it up. Um, Justin Ledette. He watched that fight and said, You know, I think Rakich has what it takes to be champion. I don't know. Pat just has a weird eye for talent in that respect. Uh, he's, he called Khabib. And again, I have receipts. If any, I have the receipts to prove this. Like, it was on this show. Like, after his second or third fight in the UFC, Pat said of Khabib. I think he's got what it takes to be lightweight champion. Uh, He's, he's some people just have an eye for this stuff. And Pat's one of them. So I, I take Rakic seriously, and I mean, I came around after watching more of his success. I take Blahovic seriously, though, and... Blahovich is a... he's a hard-nosed fighter. He's got good grappling, but like most guys at this weight class, it's all about who's on top. Um, They're both strong kickers. Rakic fights Southpaw. Which... That's not a death sentence for Blahovich, but it does complicate his game. Uh, now, Blahovich is a surprisingly adaptable fighter. One of the thing, one of the reasons a lot of people, myself included, were uh, looked at Israel Adesanya as a guy uh, as uh, potentially being able to beat him. If you watch how Blahovich fights Dominic Reyes, that works against Dominic Reyes. If he had fought, and to his credit, he didn't. But if he had fought Adesanya that same way, he would not have lasted. Now, again, to the eternal credit of Jan Blachowicz, he did not fight that way. He fought a much smarter fight. Uh, Always kind of came back on the feints with a different look. Came back with aggression. He fought that fight. That might be his best win. If you look at what he did and how he was able to achieve victory. Now, how... Now he matches up with Rakich over five rounds. This is a really tough one. Both men prefer a more sedate pace. Like neither of these guys are barn burners. Which is most guys at 205 aren't. Yuri Prohatsk is like the only one who fights like a house on fire. Uh This is gonna come down to a lot of if there's takedowns, who gets on top? Because both men can wrestle. But neither has a guard, really, to speak of. If they're at distance, the, the specific distance is going to determine things. If they're at kicking distance most of the times, I might favor Rakic. The more they trade in the pocket, the more I think that leans towards Blahovic. So whether they're at uh, kicking range or boxing range is going to determine a lot of success, I think. I'm going to lean Rakic and maybe just feel really, really dumb, but I think he's more on the upswing, whereas now aging at light heavyweight is different than other places, but Blahovic is 39. Uh, He's a recent 39. He turned 39 in February, but he is 39 and he has 37 fights. This will be 38. Now, he had a good winning streak that saw him become champion and defend it. And I am not at all... I mean, he... And he slept... He knocked Corey Anderson out of the UFC. I mean, that was a brutal knockout. But... That loss to to Teixeira was pretty bad. Now, I don't know that Rakich can duplicate what Teixeira did. But... And, and look, man, Blahovich himself said, like, I had a really off night, and I knew it when I woke up that morning that just stuff wasn't clicking, which happens, you know, it uh, happens to everybody. The question is, how do you persevere, and how's the other guy doing? So I'm, I'm not sleeping on Bl- on Blahovich one iota. He could very easily win this. This is a very close fight. But I am going to lean towards Rake. It's just a hair. Uh, he's the younger guy. He's eight years younger. Uh, he is. He he turned 30 in February. Uh, they're both large men. I mean, Rakech is six five. Only 78 inches of reach though. So the reach is theoretically identical, but uh, Rakic is three inches taller. No, Blahovich has long arms for his frame, actually. I might, I might have to call BS on that reach measurement, because some of those are dubious. I don't know who measured Frankie Edgar's reach, but uh, <coughs> yeah, he's been getting away with it with some extra inches there. Uh, I, like I said I lean Rakich, but that's a good fight. Uh, how does the rest of this card look? Go pretty quickly through these. Co-main event: Ryan Spann and Iwan Kutalaba were still at light heavyweight. Logically, that's Span, skill for skill, but Kutalaba fights like a madman, and Span doesn't always respond to that kind of fight the best. I'm still going to lean towards Span, I think, but... Um, I have... I do not have tremendous faith in that pick, just based on the reality of how I think they match up. Bantamweight. Ooh, good fight here. Davy Grant and Lewis Smolka. Uh, I like Smolka. Uh, coming off of a loss. <sighs> How's Grant been doing? Grant's on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah, had that tough fight with Adrian Yanez. That was a good fight. It was a really good fight. I agreed with Yanez winning. That was a good fight, though. I'm going to pick Grant, but that's got action written all over it. That might be your guaranteed action fight of the whole night. In like, fact, yeah, I think it is. Ooh, it's one of the prelims, though. That, that's that got more potential than guarantee, but we'll get to that. Uh, women's flyweight, Kaitlyn Chukagian and Amanda Hebos. Big spot for Amanda Hibos. Uh She rebounded from her first UFC loss. Uh, she got stopped by Marina Rodriguez. She beat Verna Jandiroba. She's back at flyweight here. She's been kind of bouncing between strawweight and flyweight. Uh, what was your fight with Jonny at? I think that was straw weight. Yeah, that was. Hmm. She's gonna need to pick a pick a weight class here pretty soon. Um, this is a big step up for her. Caitlin Chukagi and I mean, look, I meme about her fights all the time, but she's not easy to beat. She's on a three-fight winning streak. Logically, this is Chukagian, and I'm, I'm going to pick Chukagian, but uh, this is a big step up for Heboss, and we're going to find out whether or not she's ready for the top of that division quick. I think it's a bridge too far for her at this junction, though. Uh, lightweight, Frank Camacho and Manuel Torres. Uh, probably pick Camacho here. That guy is a madman. I say that with respect. Uh, he's he's only one and four in his last five though. He needs a win. I think he'll get it, but he needs a win. Let's see, flyweight. We have Jake Hadley and Alan Nascimento. Should probably pick Nascimento, but it's a weird one. This is Hadley's debut, right? Check that real fast. Might affect my pick here. Hadley is undefeated. Yeah, this is debut. debut. Uh, Nascimento. Lost his debut. Split decision to Tagiru on Bekov. Yeah, I'm going to go with Hadley, but I'm not confident there. That's your main card. As for the prelims. Uh, women's flyweight also, Viviani Araujo and Andrea Lee. Uh, I'm gonna pick Andrea Lee here. Um, Araujo has losses to Jessica I and Caitlin Chukey and wins. Got a good record. She's four and two in the UFC. If Andrea Lee can actually put everything together, um, she's a real problem. She has a lot of ability. Uh, Point of fact, I thought she got screwed by the judges in both the Joanne Calderwood and Lauren Murphy fights. Montefiore beat her straight up. But, uh, yeah, Calderwood and Murphy, I did not agree with those scorecards at all. Uh, She's finished her last two fights. She tapped out Antonina Shevchenko and beat Cynthia Calvillo so badly that Calvillo's corner stopped it between rounds. I'm going with Lee. Lightweight, Michael Johnson and Alain Patrik. This has some potential. This has some violent potential. Michael Johnson is one of those guys who, if he could always perform optimally, is probably world champion material. But no one always... Almost no one always performs optimally. And he's on a four-fight losing streak. Took a beat by Clay Guido last time. I uh, said, Patrik... You know, Patrik had a lot of... There was a period of time when Alan Patrik was a very respected rising uh, rising challenger. That was, like, 2016. Um, he hasn't won since 2018. Kinda got a... I said this, then. Look, you get fouled and you can't continue. That's... I understand, man. Just don't foul the other guy. But Mason Jones was beating the crap out of him in that last fight before the eye poke. And said, man, I don't blame him for not being able to continue, but that fight was going one way, and it was not his. Uh, I'm going to go with Johnson here, but... uh, Won't be shocked if he snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. Women's strawweight, Angela Hill, and Virna Jandiroba. Boy, they did Jandiroba dirty in this one. One loss to Hebos, and all the way down here, um, <sighs> Angela Hills had some rough luck in her in some decisions lately. She's one in four in her last five; three of those are split decisions. The Waterson fight could have gone her way. I agreed with Gedalia beating her. The Lemos fight. I think I scored that for Lemosh, but didn't hate scoring it for Hill. Uh, look, Angela Hill's just, it's weird, but like she got outworked in the third round by Gedalia. And Claudia Gedalia is, you know, well was, she's retired at this point, I think. But yeah, she just <laughs> was not a great third round fighter. And Hill's cardio has always been an issue. I don't know if this is a training thing. I don't know if this is, I don't know what it is. But she's had cardio issues, and they've reared their head more than once in her fights. I'm going to go with John Roba here. Um, And I don't mean to, again, I'm not trying to dismiss Angela Hill's chances she could win this fight. But, I don't know, that's, it's gotten to the point where I'm not sure how I, I'm not sure how, how viable it is to pick Angela Hill to win. It's not that she's a bad fighter. But, and again, she could very easily win this, but I have to sit here and, like, and make a judgment call based on what I know of both fighters and how I think they match up. And I'm going to lean towards Jandy Roba, I guess. I don't know. Um, Flyweight. This was supposed to take place a couple of weeks ago. Tatsuro Tyra and Carlos Candelario. Uh, there was some illness issue with Candelario. This was supposed to take place at, not 274, but the card before it. Uh, I picked Tyra. Before I'm picking Tyra again, and kicking everything off at middleweight, Nick Maximov and Andre Petrovsky. sure Petroski is who I think he is because he's got a similar name to someone else who I confused him with on last time I did one of these. No, this is who I think he is. Andre Petrovsky is, yeah, the guy who came off the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I'll pick Maximov. I mean, Maximov is limited, but. I mean, he's young, man. He's like 24. Yeah. Very early 20s. Only eight fights into his career. Uh, Smothering wrestler. I'm going to go with Maximov, but... Both these guys are young enough and talented enough that if this goes the other way, it shouldn't be surprising. Uh, And that is it. That's UFC on ESPN 36. I will have coverage of that Saturday in the MMA zone of 411mania.com, per usual. Uh, Okay, let's do fight announcements, because those are always fun. UFC 276 has a couple of fights at the top of the card. This is for July 2nd. Uh, We have... For the third time... At featherweight, for the featherweight title, Alexander Volkanovsky, your champion, defending the belt against former champion Max Holloway. Um, People are excited for this. I understand why. Max Holloway had, I think, the best quote about this. What you're going to see between us is the bleeding edge of MMA. This is what the sport will be capable of for the next few years. I think that is correct. I think these are the two... I think these are the two most sophisticated fighters... Who will fight each other. Uh, These two guys operate at the highest end of what MMA does. Uh, My issue with it is I've... I've seen the fight. I'm just... It just doesn't quite move me. That might change as we get closer, but that's where I am right now. Um, I mean, that said, these are the two best featherweights and... The real problem in that division, and when Volkanovski told the rest of the division to step up their game, he was correct. The difference between these two, and I actually think Volkanovski is just better, but the difference between these two and everyone else in that division, like, that distance feels like it's an ocean. I don't know who you think the third best featherweight in the in the UFC is. I can't say the world, but who who do you think the third best featherweight in the UFC is? Uh, because if you said Calvin Cater, you can defend that point, and I might even agree with you. But what happened when he fought Max Holloway? What do you think would happen if he fought Volkanovski? Maybe you said Brian Ortega. What happened when he fought both of them? Maybe Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's going to fight Calvin Cater. That's a darn good fight. and He's one of the few guys that hasn't fought either of them, but do you really how do you think that goes, right? And somebody's gonna somebody's gonna beat somebody that is not one of the other two is gonna beat the other one at some point. maybe you said Yair. You know, what happened when Yair fought Max Holloway? Like That was a good fight, but it wasn't that close. And again when Cater fought Holloway, Holloway put a historic beating on him. Uh, there's just this giant gulf between those two and everyone else. Uh, If Holloway loses, I don't quite know what the future will hold for him. Um, It would be a really rough spot. If you're 0-3 against the current champion, I mean, even if it's another close fight, you can't do it again. It, if we have another fight that's close, but another fight that Volkanovsky wins you you not you can't get a fourth crack at that right like you've had at that point you will have had fifteen rounds and almost an forty five minutes of fighting time to try and figure this out, and you couldn't get any combination of judges to give you the fight. Uh, I mean, I, I said this about um after their second fight at one point, like even if you added up all the rounds, Holloway definitively definitively won across two fights. Volkanovski still wins. I think like of their ten rounds of fighting at this point, Volk has pretty handily won six or seven. So, I mean, six at a bare minimum. So, I don't know. But, it's a good fight. Uh, Also on that card, uh, middleweight title fight Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannonier. Good fight. No issues with that fight. Uh, Looking forward to it. Darn good fight. Lean towards Adesanya, but... I lean towards him over pretty much everyone in that division at this point, so. Uh, we have anything else that got announced fight-wise? Let me to double-check. Um, yeah, that's July 2nd, UFC 276, which is scheduled at the moment for the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Um, so you have 275 coming up. That will be in Singapore. Marvin Vittori is looking for an opponent. Uh, we got, oh, I think they confirmed, I believe they confirmed uh, Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. It was an interesting fight. Yeah, Whitaker was supposed to fight Marvin Vittori, but Whitaker pulled out with that injury for UFC 275. Um, What's his face? Andre Fialo said he wants to fight on this card. Uh, God bless him, man. Uh... I don't know if they'll be able to make room for him, but hey, take your shot. It's not like the UFC hasn't, you know, done that in the past. You mentioned Cater and Emmett. Do we have anything for Fight Night 209? We do not. We don't have a main event. We have a, or, or do we? I think Shavkat. I think Magny and Shavkat Rachmanov might be our main event for that one. Um, also on that card, Armin Saryukian and Mateus Gamrot. Darn good fight. That's that's shaping up, man. UFC on ESPN plus 66. Uh, you've got a lot of good stuff there. you know, you got uh, Soryukin and Gamrot, Harley and Pivovar, and Sergey Morozov is a good fight. Tyson Nam and Taliru, Ulanbekov. Again, Magny and Rachmanov is excellent. Uh, Tim Elliott and Amir Albazi is not a bad fight at all. It's a really good fight, actually. So circle that one if you're a hardcore fan. They're still trying to flesh that one out, and it's not coming up until June 25th, but pay attention to that one. Uh, I think that's it. Um, Okay, we've been going on Yeah, let me talk briefly about this, I guess. So UFC president Dana White was on, I forget the name of the podcast, forgive me. But he complained about boxers being overpaid and tried to lay out how you couldn't build a league the way that boxing is built um this is This is a sad, sad old talking point from u f c brass as they rake in they're supposed to have over a bill i think they're projected to do over a billion dollars this year um yeah sure you can't structure a league like that, not like you know the n f l or the NBA, Major League Baseball, or the NHL, or any number of these other organizations that are still wildly, wildly successful. Um, look, here's the long and the short of it. The UFC could still be profitable and raise fighter pay. They could probably double it. They could probably double fighter pay and still be by any appreciable metric wildly successful financially. Because doubling fighter pay again they they will not do this, but they could again they could afford to and still be a profitable organization. Now they won't. And you might say they won't just because of unbridled greed. I'm not saying greed has nothing to do with it. And for a long time it pretty much was pure greed. Not it's not it has become less clear in the following ways. The UFC does not own itself anymore. The UFC is owned by another by another company. In this case it's Endeavor. The UFC's profitability and what they bring in financially is basically keeping endeavor afloat at the moment given how leveraged that that uh, entity is they own a lot of they own plenty of things they again they're a talent agency is kind of what they're spun off of but if you look at some of their uh, financial discussions and because they are a publicly traded company a bunch of this is public the ufc accounts for essentially everything they do that is profitable most of their other ventures at the moment are losing money now, that in and of itself is not the worst thing in the world. It is perfectly possible to operate a business uh, at a deficit, to operate like cash flow negative, so uh, so long as there are a few other mitigating factors. But it can be done. In fact, a lot of businesses do it because sometimes things go up or down. It's just not the end of the world to be in the red, assuming you know what you're doing. But they really need the UFC to not only be profitable, but to be as profitable as possible. And those are not the same thing. And there's a real argument that because they're a publicly traded company, they have a financial obligation to their shareholders to make sure that all of their holdings operate at maximum profitability. Because, again, if someone buys stock, if someone invests in your company, you do have obligations to them. Again, they're called fiduciary. They are legal obligations, and they are financial obligations. And if you're the CEO of Endeavor and you have to explain to your shareholders, well, our most profitable, in fact, arguably only profitable subentity had its profitability cut by 40%, because we think fighters deserve more, they're going to be pissed. And they might have, very, and they have very good reason to be pissed. So it it does complicate the issue a little bit, and you, that might seem like I'm being some kind of gigantic apologist for everything. I it's not you're not being an I don't think you're being an apologist if you acknowledge some of the realities going on here. Look, do fighters deserve more? I have been beating that drum for a long time. The fact that they get nothing from every licensing deal the UFC has. Uh, like It's a bit disgusting. A, a chunk of that should be going to the fighters off the top, not the trickle-down effect. Not the UFC going, well, we make X, therefore we can potentially raise fighter pay a little bit here or there. Uh, no, the fighters should... Again, every other... or. As much as the UFC likes to style itself a league, they are not a league. If you look at the NBA or the NFL, you look at any major sports sports league in the United States, the players have a collective bargaining agreement and they get somewhere around 50% of all the rights fees from the television deals. So, wh- however much however much Fox pays the NFL. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but for the sake of argument, let's say Fox pays them a billion dollars. Which would not be outside the realm of possibility. Again, I don't know the exact number, but I'm just arguing here. Say Fox pays them a billion dollars and CBS pays them 500 million. That would be stupidly low, but I'm kind of just making a point here financially. So the NFL would then be getting from those two organizations 1.5 billion dollars annually to broadcast their games half of that about so again for the sake of argument let's say 50 percent goes to the players that is 750 million dollars in our example that is I believe it's split evenly, but I forget I don't know the ins and outs of how that is distributed via the players' organization to the players. I imagine it's flat it's a flat even split all the way around, I imagine. So however much the NFL is paid, half of that, again pretty much off the top, again, about half from that deal is distributed to the player. The uh, ESPN pays the UFC. million a year, 300 and change, to be the rights holder for them for the United States. Just straight up, every year, if you produce X number of shows for ESPN and its associated networks, you get $300 million. The UFC starts each year operating in the black because of that. That more than covers all operational expenses for all of the UFC. For every 12 year for every 12-month period And the fighters see exactly zero of that. again, if you want to argue the trickle-down effect, well because the UFC makes more then they can raise fighter payment the, the fighters see none of that money. every penny of it goes to the UFC. every penny of the venom stuff, the venom deal operates exactly the same as the reebok deal. Any fighter who gets a percentage of their stuff being sold is not getting a percentage of the real dollar. They're getting a percentage of the UFC's percentage of that. But, hey, no, the NFL is only the most successful financial sports entity in the world by a wide margin. In the world? I have to double check that. But you can't structure a league like that, right, Dana? Boxing's dying. You know, because all of your top tier fighters, when they're looking for a big payday, are going to bo- are looking to go to boxing. Your heavyweight champion of the world is looking at some kind of mixed rules fight with Tyson Fury. But you can't structure a league like boxing is structured. Your welterweight champion, maybe the pound for pound best fighter in MMA, is, waste- is spending his time calling out Canelo Alvarez. But you can't structure a sport that way. Boxing's dying. Just the most disingenuous stuff you've ever heard. So, wanted to briefly talk about that. Alright, uh, that's everything I've written down. Let's check Twitter one last time, and if n- there's nothing there, we will get into plugs and get out of here. Alright, nothing crazy in the sphere is broken while well, we've been recording this, so... What do we got for plugs? Last week, there was a Double Damn You Hollywood for two animated movies, Bubble and Bell... There's myself, Mark Radilich, David Wright, and Matthew Sapricone uh, talking about animation, Jap- uh, Japanese animation in particular. So you can listen to that if you're so inclined. This week, a uh, much bigger movie, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. There'll be myself, Mark Radelich, Alexis Haina, and is David on that too? Yes, David Wright will be on that. So, the four of us are going to kick around that movie. The good, the bad, the otherwise. Um, I don't think I'm going to be positive. <laughs> I'm going to... God. I do not derive pleasure from being the guy... ...who stands up and says, This thing you like sucks. Or, you know, I, I'm, I don't like being the guy who says, The emperor has no clothes. I know how the fable goes, and I know why the fable goes the way it goes, but more often than not, that kid is just beat to crap by a bunch of people. But we'll see. If you're interested in the full thoughts, again, we're going to have a variety of opinions. Uh, big and good bat, we'll talk about all of it. And yeah, that'll be a, be a good time. So be on the lookout for that. I think that's my only other podcast. Other than that, my usual spade of professional wrestling coverage, AW Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. So be on the lookout for all of that, and again, the UFC on Saturday. We will be back here next week for to review UFC on ESPN 36, and we will preview UFC on ESPN plus 64. Oh. Oh no. Headlined by Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieja. Oh no. Full preview next week, everybody. Until then, thank you again for listening. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.